God, I praise you and I give you the glory and the honor that is due your name. May your word speak to those who have ears. Let them hear that their heart be turned and convicted. Let my heart be turned and convicted, Lord. We are creatures in your hands. We are clay in your hands that you mold and you shape. Lord, I don't have the full knowledge and understanding. I see only in part. I see things only when it is in front of me. I cannot see what's behind or around uh, a, an obscured object. So help us today, Lord, and may your spirit enlighten us to the principle of the gospel and the word of your, of your spirit that had given to us throughout the millennia. And now we come to this word and may this word convict us, may this word turn and change our lives and cause us to do the difficult things. And, and Lord, help me in the coming days. And as we explore your will and your desire, and as we come to understand that fully, may we have the humility and have the audacity to obey your word's command, even though it is contrary, and even though sometimes we don't understand it. May your spirit speak and work in us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, in verse 2, chapter 1, to them that are sanctified. Now, this is the word in past tense, sanctified in Christ. Jesus called to be saints. You are saints. You are sanctified. Now, the difference between those who are saints and those who are sanctified and those who are not is simply this. Do you believe in what the Word of God says? Is my interpretation of this verse foreign to you? Do you don't understand what I'm saying or do you disagree? When we read the scripture, when we read the Bible, if we are called sanctified and we are called saints, then the evidence of what we read and what we see would reflect back to us as if we see in the mirror. And if I were to look in the mirror today, I would ask myself, I, am I a saint according to the word of God? Am I sanctified? That's how we should read the Bible. That is how we should mirror the scripture. It's not what I think. It's what I read in the scripture and what the revelation of the Holy Spirit and then he goes on to say, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to the saints. And now I want you to go to verse 13 and let's look at this. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Paul, here's the apostle Paul, not me. Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? The apostle in the beginning of his letter, now this is two letters that he will write to the churches at Corinth. And the first one, and the beginning of the letter, he addressed the Corinth church, are you divided? Unity is the main subject of Paul's message to the church at Corinth. And I believe the reason why he brings it up as the number one and the first and foremost thesis of his message is because without unity, we don't have a church. Without unity, we don't have the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism, and we can't walk together unless two agree. How can they walk together? The apostle understood that the church will be divided because there are persecution that happens, just like we are today. The division comes when we are in an environment where we have to make choices, and those choices conflict with our political, our societal, and our biblical understanding. In these times, the only thing that would bind the Christian together is their understanding of what is written here. If you 
and I, we don't understand what God is saying here, and we are at liberty to interpret the Bible however we want, then we'll never be in unity. We will be divided. There are fractions in the church. Are there many Christs? A house divided cannot stand. If I were to assess where we are as a church, are we standing? I'm appealing for unity. Now, whether or not it will be the unity that comes from a perspective of a pastor, of a leader, it doesn't matter. What my main focus is, the perspective has to come from the Bible. Now, if you are going to have a theological assessment, then let's have a theological assessment and make sure that what you learn here is the truth. Because there are perspectives that are validly argued on both sides. But we can't have within the same body varying different views. They will lead the church in diverging views. In the body of Jesus Christ especially, familiarity is something we hold on to. And familiarity is basically just a term for status quo. Change is hard. Change is always hard. But I thank God we are living in this time. I was at work. The order was to lock everybody in place, and it was happening that day. And so I had to make a decision on that day. I cannot defer it. But familiarity gives us a buffer, a space and time. We just continue to exist the way we are without any kind of urgency. And until things happen, they happen. But what if your soul is determined today? What is tonight? You have to decide whether you're in the kingdom of God or you're outside the kingdom of God. Is there an urgency? Is there an urgency? The status quo might be fine. It would be easy for me to say, let's everyone just stay home. I can do this by myself. It's harder. Burden of responsibility placed on everyone who is here. But if I read the Bible a certain way, and I believe this is the teaching of the Bible, then I need to be responsible for the risks that I'm taking. Otherwise, let's just all go home. Would it be easier? Let's not broadcast. We are held to a conviction of our belief. If we are convicted by what we understand and what we know, then we're driven by that conviction. It's easier to do things, to not do things than to do things. But then when you do things, well, you are responsible and responsibility is hard. However, on the other side, if you don't have responsibility, it is easy to see faults. Unity comes when we all shared in the responsibility. And we are convicted by what we see in the scripture and change according to it. The Christian life changes from glory to glory. Matthew 18.3 Jesus says, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Christian life begins when we change completely. When everything that is old is now becoming new. Change is the part of our Christian faith. It is who we are as people of God. The definitive mark of Christianity is the journey from the world toward God. That is the definitive mark. How far have we gotten in that journey? How far have we gone from the world toward the kingdom of God? That change is the journey and it is the Holy Spirit working in the life of the individual. The road to maturity on that journey changed from glory to glory. So the way that you know you're heading toward glory is that you see your life. Now, I'm not saying that this journey will save you. You are saved by faith alone. However, if you're Catholic, this change will save you. 
you see the difference in theology governs how we live. But if you don't, if you don't change, then it is an evidence of an unregenerate life. But a person who changes, we don't know. We don't know whether that person is saved because there are many good people, there are many gracious people, there are many loving people, and there are many people who are not saved. But we do know people who are not saved. Jesus says in Matthew 18.3, he said, except ye be converted. There is a moment in our lives that we are converted. Now, some of you might think back to that time that you get converted and you say, that is the moment of my conversion. Let me say this. Don't hold on to that too tightly because you know as well as I know that many people had miraculous conversion and then fall away. So how do we know when are we converted? We know only when we are changing from glory to glory on our daily walk. Our salvation is Christ's work alone. He does that work. But how do you know? How do you know that Jesus Christ has saved you? The life, you, you might never know, but you might have hints that you're not living in sin, for one. If you are not, it does not mean that you are. It just means that you might be a good person, an unsaved good person. It doesn't mean that you are saved. But at least you are inquisitive. At least you are asking the question, and that's all I can do. I can't tell you whether or not God has saved you. I'm not God. I can't even say it for myself. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, Apostle Paul told Timothy, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. What if everything stops? What if our ministry, our work, our family just ended? As Christians, we must know that we took nothing into this life and we will take nothing out. And we must be ready to leave with nothing. That is to say, everything that we build up, we must be sure that we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ because nothing remains. One day, I won't be here. One day, I stop working. And then one day, I'll be dead. I take nothing out. The question is, do we have Jesus Christ? Do we have Christ today? Except you believe and act and behave and live according to your faith, we carry nothing out of this life. We start and we end at zero, nothing. Everything we build one day will be gone. You see, we must have a mindset that our work, unless it is Christ, it could amount to nothing. One day I have a family. The next day I have a whole different family. One day I have a group of friends and the next day I have none. We start at zero and we end at zero. Everything that happens in between, either Christ or nothing. John 3.3 Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We only see glimpses 
of eternity. I want to make this distinction between salvation and sanctification because Paul is talking about the saint who have been sanctified in Christ. Salvation is the work of God. God saved you. There's nothing that you can do. We see the kingdom of God. We understand the kingdom of God. And this is the process of maturity. We grow up and we say, I can't cash this out. I can't cash my salvation now. I am now responsible for what God has given to me. And a person who understands that matures in their faith and their responses will be that of sanctification. Everything that God has given to us, he gave us freely. Paul says, how much more can God give us? He gave us his son. How much more can he give us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He gave us Jesus Christ. What will we do with Jesus Christ? Will we use Jesus Christ as a means so that we can feel safe and secure and live the life the way we want to in abandonment of his purpose and his will? Or will we use our life for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God? We carry nothing out. We have been given freely from God. Let us stand up to the responsibility that God has had for us. And here is the hardest thing that Jesus spoke, for me at least, and that is in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. How should we read this? We can say it must be the translation error that there is the word all in here. Or maybe this is not even in the original text. Or we simply say, well, there are other passages that doesn't say this. But this is, if in your Bible, is it not the word of Jesus Christ? Is it not in red in some of your versions? What does it say here? So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. What does Jesus mean? The biggest question for me is, Am I willing to forsake all that I have? I was sitting down with a gentleman at Starbucks about five years ago, and he looked at me and he said, would you quit your job? I know what he said has correlation to what is here. Are we willing to do the things that are difficult? The question recently has been, what am I willing to forsake? Am I willing to forsake this? If Christ isn't the only thing that I'm holding on to, then I'm not worthy to be called his disciples. That's my appeal for unity because unity means that you have to give up something. You have to give up something. And Jesus Christ has got to give up everything. What you hold on to, what you think is right. If it's contrary to the scripture reading, are you willing to dig into it and say, God, this is not right. I must change. I must give it up. The Spirit changes us, not ourselves. So there's nothing that you hear from me today will change you. Thank God. Otherwise, I would have quit my job a long time ago. I'm in this teaching position. If I think that my teaching could change you, no. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us. 
It's not someone's teaching because you might listen to one person one day and you think, well, that's pretty good. And then when you hear that person speak about something that you disagree, okay, I don't buy it anymore. Christianity has become a marketplace. We like, we buy, we don't like, we don't buy. But God does not sell salvation. His word has been steadfast for generations. We either believe or we don't believe. And I don't believe I can change any of you. I don't believe anything I say here would change any of you. But I believe that when the gospel is being preached, when Jesus Christ is being preached, the Holy Spirit works and changes us. That's how he did me. Ephesians 4.23 And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that deep recess, locus of control of your life. Something is controlling it right now. Something is controlling me. That's the question that I want to provoke you to think. What is controlling you? What is that locus of control, the center of the thing that caused you to behave one way or another? What is it that caused you to study or to play? What is it that controls you to act and behave a certain way versus another way? What is it that caused you to read the Bible or not or to pray or not? What is that locus of control? And the Apostle Paul says that is the spirit of your mind. That is the control of everything that is deep and meaningful to you. Do you find yourself doing things that you know that you shouldn't be doing, but you have no control over it? It is because that locus, that spirit of your mind is controlling how and what you behaving. Do you have control over it? And I'll tell you this, you don't have control over it. You never have control over it. It controls you because your spirit controls you. The only way for you to be controlled or to be to adhere to the teaching of Jesus Christ is that His Spirit, Spirit of Christ, take over control of your mind and lead you toward life. And otherwise, you will be heading toward death. The work of the Holy Spirit is to conform the Christian to Jesus Christ. For shaping the effectual change, we need to be willing to change. Your homework will not get done if you don't stop playing. There is no alternative. And if the voice of your conscience, if no one is telling you, no one is speaking to you, your conscience will say, I am too good. I will take care of my whatever I need to do later. That's the spirit of your mind. But if that is the voice of the Holy Spirit talking to a grown adult, question is, have you been born again? The innermost part of the Christian mind must be renewed. And Paul says, your mind, the spirit of your mind must be renewed, or this word means reformed. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 14, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. You see, the spirit does not do things, does not tell you, son, this is what I'm going to do. And if you listen to me, this is the outcome. You will be this glorious. The spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit moves the way that the Spirit moves. I can't tell you, and James will tell you, the Spirit moves like the wind. No one knows. And if the Spirit moves in you, you might not understand, but He reforming you to become the image of Jesus Christ. Reformation begins and ends with the Spirit of God who will not understand. Like The Lord says, He told the disciples when He was washing their feet, and Peter was abhorred. Why would a master wash the disciples' feet? And Jesus said, what I do unto you now, you don't understand. And the problem what we have with, with our society, how our society is shaped today, is that we must understand before we do something. But that is contrary to the spirit of the scripture. Jesus says, what I'm doing 
You won't understand. But when the Holy Spirit comes and he will reveal it to you, then you would understand. For me, I take the word of God first. I might not understand why I need to forsake all. I might not have the reason to say, well, does it mean I have to forsake my mom, my dad, my sister, my siblings, my church, my employment, everything? I might not understand. Sure, I don't understand. But if I believe in what Jesus says, truly, in due time, the Holy Spirit will reveal to me. And you know what? If the Spirit doesn't, I still praise God. Living or dying, I belong to Christ, if I do. If not, it's important that we see ourselves as having nothing and gaining nothing, except we're holding on to the truth of the gospel, what the gospel teaches. And we rest on God's promise. He said he will save you, he will save you. Do you believe? Do you believe tomorrow? Unwilling to change results in division. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about adhering to the teaching of the scripture. If we change just for the sake of change, then in the end, we have a salad bowl, nothing mixed. But if we all adhering to the principle of the gospel, then we serve one Lord, one baptism, one master. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's trivial that we have these quarrels over so insignificant things. Jesus Christ died for us. You know, when, when he was on that cross, he said this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the first time in the history of creation that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, was separated from the Father because of us, because of our sin. When we talk about forsaken all, when Jesus talked about forsaken all, he's not only just telling you to forsake all, he forsook all to save you, to save us. This is the act of unity. It's not the act of division. Unity is when Jesus Christ, because of our punishment, took on the form of a man. And in that person, in the form of the Son of Man, he was separated from God the Father on that cross. And in the period of three days, he was separated from God. Now, his divinity has never been separated from God. Never. Because he is God for all eternity. But God, Jesus Christ, as man, he was separated from God for the purpose of bringing you together in unity. This is the lesson that we should learn. That is the change that shook heaven and earth. That is the change that the Son of Man who is sinless, who knew no sin, died because of us. So that when he was resurrected, he can reconcile us back to God. Change is a necessary thing. Unless a seed falls to the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth good fruit. What do I need to change? How do I need to be different? To act and behave differently so that you can be reconciled to God? That's my question every day. What I need to do? John thirteen thirty five. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Sacrifice is another word for change. For the benefit and for the purpose of others is sacrifice. 
We give, we give freely, and ask nothing in return. We spend and be spent. And the Apostle Paul says, "The more I love you, the less I'm loved." Find comfort. I find comfort in that, in those words. Let me close with this Ephesians four three to seven, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Each one of us is called into one body, one faith, one Lord. Each one of us is called into different ministry, but we have only one Lord and one direction, and that is toward glory. The apostle Paul said, "Endeavoring to keep the peace does not mean to compromise, but it also means to compromise when things are unimportant." I'm not telling us to not compromise. I'm telling us to let go of our biases. Let go of the things that we hold that, well, either is unscriptural, adiaphora, meaning it's non-essential. There are things that are non-essential. Would you want to take the freeway or you want to take the inner road? Whichever you choose. To me, it's adiaphora. Doesn't matter. As long as you don't kick me out of the car. But to hold on to everything as if we're right and everyone else is wrong, we'll never have unity. The fundamental. Question that we must face today is that who is governing our actions and who is governing our, our thoughts? If you are not reading the Bible, church, who is governing your decisions? If you don't spend time reading the Bible and praying, who is governing your decision? Let me just answer that: you. Whatever comes out of your mind is not shape or mold. By the word of God, and then we listen to the word of God and we disagree. No, there are some people who read the Bible and change according to it. If you read the Bible, if you believe in what the Bible teaches, we will meet each other where Jesus Christ is. But Tom, Kier, and I, we have many disagreements, theologically and perspectively. Over the course of our wanting to find the truth, we arrived at the same place. We all arrive at the same place. It's through discussion, brotherly discussion, on topics that are dear to us. If we all seek the Lord and learn, we arrive at the same place, and that's the place of Jesus Christ. I believe that one day, we all of these denominations of all these churches, the one that belonging to Jesus Christ, whether you are Catholic, you are Protestant, and we might take different routes. God judges. The Spirit in us. Whether we have the Spirit of Christ, He will lead us. So spend your time, please. We won't go anywhere, and we can't have a intelligent, a spiritual discussion if we're not talking about the same thing. We're not reading our Bibles.、And、that's my appeal to you. Christian unity starts with the text, reading and studying the Scripture, so that you know what is here. And I'll tell you this: it's not easy. The Scripture is not easy. 
It's not that you read it and you understand and you interpret the way you want to. I have a responsibility to figure out what I'm teaching you is right. And how do I do that? I have to trace it back, all the way back. Is what I'm teaching you the apostle taught the church? That's not an easy task. But it's easier now. Thank God for technology. It wasn't easy before. Now we just search for what we want. That means that we have no excuse, church. We have no excuse not to know the Bible. We have no excuse. Focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. Make yourself of no reputation. Take on Him a form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. That's your Lord Jesus Christ. He was God. He was made in our image, and He humbled Himself. Death on the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? There are two things that the Apostle Paul talks about, and I want to end here. And that first is crucified Christ. I want you to look at Romans fourteen nine. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Sacrifice is the beginning of unity. That's what Jesus Christ did. He gave himself. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He was resurrected so that we can be reconciled to God. Sacrifice is the first act of unity. So examine yourselves and see whether or not you are in the Lord, and the things that we need to do to make certain sacrifices, so that your brothers, your sister, the church can move forward with or without you. But. Sacrifice. Jesus Christ was nailed on the cross without us. He stayed behind, held back the forces of death and hell, so that we can advance into the kingdom of God. This unity comes when we serve different masters. We have Christ on one hand and us on the other hand, or the devil. But if we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection means that we belong to Christ and we serve Him and Him only. There's only one Lord, one baptism. And Paul talks about baptism. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Baptism—it is an ordinance that brings a person into the church. Baptism does not save us, and all those who baptize are not saved. But those who are saved will baptize if they can, if they don't die on the cross as a thief. But all those who are saved will be baptized because we serve the Lord and we want to obey Him. Paul's reference to baptism draws back to one Lord whose name we are baptized. I can say to all of you who are sitting here: You were baptized in the name of Christ. We are all one, aren't we? One Lord. We serve one Lord, and that Lord is the Lord of this Word that I preach today. If we have different Lords, then we have we're not sitting at the same table. But if we have the same Lord, because we are all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, none of you are baptized in my name. I hope, or the name of Paul, or Barnabas, or Silas, or some other names. But we are all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we all serve the same Lord in the body of Jesus Christ. There is no division. We have been baptized into the Lord. Let us live according to the Lord's teaching, which means that we might need to change. Well, we have to change. I'm sorry, we have to change and to conform to the Holy Spirit. It begins with our understanding of the Scripture, and to understand Scripture, you gotta read it on a daily basis. Spend more time on it. One chapter a day is just not enough. The more you read, the more you come to understand that there is life here, that God has for you, and that your thoughts is not God's thoughts, and your way are not God's way. His ways are much higher, and He wants you to ride upon the high places of the earth and have the inheritance of Jesus Christ.
John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And no greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. We praise and honor you today. And may your word go, goes out and accomplish that which you have purpose in us. Father, cause the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, to be prominent and be visible in each one of us. That when we close our eyes, we see the Lord Jesus Christ exalted high above everything else. Father, may your name permeate and your word becomes the fabric of our lives. That everything we do, the minutia of details of our decisions are being guided and contoured to your, to your will and to your purpose. I don't know what the future might be for this church and how it will be shaped and formed. But I do know this, Lord, that as you are the Lord that we have been baptized into, you are the God that will take each person, each soul, into the glorious realm that you have purpose and ordain for each child of yours. Lord, if we suffer with you, we will indeed glorify together with you. Like the Apostle Paul says, Lord, may we have that mind, that heart, for the sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Let that be our desire. Let that be our call and our cry out to you every day. Let that be my prayer to you. That you take this church into the new bond of unity. That we move forward and ahead with sincerity and with honesty and with the full knowledge of your love for us. For this is how the world knows that we are your disciples, that we have love for each other. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.